Welcome to Mental Healthy, where we share the stories and expertise of professionals working diligently in the field of mental health. I'm your host today, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. I've got a great friend in the podcast today. We've worked together in the past. Her name is Dr. Ginger Mayer, coming to us today all the way from Alabama. We've worked together in the past and previous jobs. We worked together at Troy University down there. Dr. Mayer is quite an ambitious lady. She's done a lot of things. She is the founder and director of Living Waters Counseling in Headland, Alabama, as well as being the founder and president of Kingdom College there in Headland, Alabama. And it's not too often I have college presidents here <laughs> on my program. They've got a really neat selection of programs. It's a new college, everything from associate's degrees, bachelor's and master's degrees, things in the area of education, divinity, counseling, education, just a really neat setup they got going there. So welcome to the program, Dr. Mayer. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Knapp, for having me here. It's just wonderful being back with you again. Well, we're glad to have you on the program today. And I wanted to have you on the program because I think you've had a really interesting career and a career that a lot of our listeners would probably find interesting. Could you give the listeners a little bit of a background on you and your educational background and how you've gotten to the point of starting your own practice and being a college president and all this. Give us a little background on you. I'll be glad to briefly. It still seems strange to me that a former high school English teacher from a little town, a little school in Donaldsonville, Georgia, has ended up as a college president or a person with a Christian counseling facility. My earlier degree work was in English, English language, and I just had a passion for teaching. I love to teach. I love to share knowledge, and, and I do seek God for wisdom and how to use that knowledge, and I just enjoy the whole concept of sharing knowledge with folks. So that started as a high school teacher, teaching high school English. As the years kind of rolled by, I began to realize why some of my students were coming in and they may have wanted to learn, but there were so many issues that came in. I had to take a very hard look at what was I doing? Was I really benefiting them? And I believe that's when God spoke and kind of led me out of the classroom into being a school counselor and helping with some of those issues. I went and got a degree in, in school counseling under clinical mental health situation and I became an LPC. And then from that point, I entered teaching on the college level because I still love teaching. But from the beginning of the time I was a school counselor, the Lord led me to open up Living Waters Counseling in Headland, which is a Christian counseling facility. So we're about to enter our 20th year there. And three years ago, out of Living Waters came Kingdom College so that we can start training up for the next generation of educators, counselors, social workers, and biblical study students. So it's been a journey, but it's been a great one. That's neat how you give your background like that. I think a lot of people can relate to what you said about students coming up to you and wanting to share their problems and all that. That sort of led you in the direction of counseling instead of being a regular teacher. That's really neat. Now, I heard you mention too how God led you to this and so forth. And some of our listeners come from a faith-based or Christian background and others not, other faith backgrounds possibly. Could you tell a little bit about your faith-based approach and being a Christian institution? Some of our listeners may or may not be as familiar with that. Well, to be quite honest with you now, and you being a counselor yourself, you mm -hmm. know that one of the ethical guidelines we do follow. And when you look at, in my particular faith-based situation, 
Christianity, we expose, but we do not impose. And I think making people feel comfortable and bringing that comfort level that, look, we respect you, we love you, no matter where you are in a faith-based situation or even in a non-faith-based walk, in your journey in life, I think that has been a key to us is to learn to love and respect everybody where they are. And that faith approach is more of a holistic approach because I know some people ignore the spiritual part of people and they just sort of act like it doesn't exist or something like that. But I've been down to your practice in Alabama. How many people do you have on staff there, people that work with you? Because it seems like there's an interest in that type of therapy. Well, there are six licensed people working with us right now. And then, of course, we have around 12 interns from a variety of Christian colleges Uh and secular colleges because they have an interest in that worldview focus. So that's why they're out there. So we probably typically have a total of around 15 to 20 folks working with us. That's a pretty good crew. (laughs) (laughs) I do not like wait lists. I just do not want to tell anybody ever, well, we're so full. If you'll just wait a week or two, we'll get somebody to call. I don't do that. If our therapists, if our interns or our licensed folks have caseloads that are reasonable, I'm not going to overload somebody. I will refer out to people that have either been through Living Waters for training people that I absolutely believe counsel from that faith-based perspective. Well, if you have all those students that are doing internships, I guess you have a decent bit of supervision you do there as well. Yes. We have group supervision, individual supervision going on all the time. Oh, that's great. I know there's always a need for that interns around the country. Probably have a few of those listening. (laughs) Now, I know Living Waters on your website and everything else talks about operating from a Christian counseling perspective. And people hear that phrase a lot and people think of it a lot of different ways. I know everyone sort of conceptualizes it maybe from their own faith background or something like that. But why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a feel for what does it mean to you when you say Christian counseling and maybe how does that differ from a secular approach per se? Well, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the word hope here. There are many, many, there's a plethora of wonderful Christian counselors across this nation. But some of them are having to work in in an agency situation, which absolutely prohibits the use of the Word of God in the counseling with the clients. Some of the agencies will say, well, if the client brings it up, I just read research recently that said that 55% of the practitioners do not address the spiritual component. Well, we do. A lot of Christians are not allowed to do that unless the client brings it up. But sometimes clients don't know to bring it up or they're afraid to bring it up. So I think a difference in a Christian counselor that is practicing from the Christian worldview, is that we can offer the hope that being a Christian offers us. It's not a, well, if you try this activity, it may or may not work. When we talk to a client and ask them to do an activity that is perhaps a prayer journal, 
a reflection of the way things were, how they are now, and what is your future outlook, that may produce an entirely different result Mm -hmm. when you are actually using scripture that talks about the hope and the promises that God has given us. And I think that's one of the differences. But again, we don't impose that sort of activity on somebody. If somebody walks in that has never had a faith perspective, we're going to work with them and we're going to find out and study and explore the issues that they come in with. That's so good to do it that way because that's a holistic approach. I tell you, when I do intake assessments myself with my clients, I usually ask them, do you have any spiritual or religious beliefs that impact what you're struggling with? And it's not imposing anything to ask that. It's just asking them if that's part of their life. And, exactly. and a lot of times the answer is yes, they do. And it means a lot to them. And if they have that, it can shape the way they see their struggle. One of the things I wanted to bring up too is the listeners don't know about all your background, but I know that on 9-11, you went up to New York City and worked with some of the people up there. And so the hope that you're talking about is something that you help create, the installation of hope with your clients. But I guess when you work with crisis work yourself, you have to have hope. <laughs> so because <laughs> yeah. working with that kind of crisis stuff, I mean, everyone talks about the 9-11 anniversaries and all that happened on that day. Could you maybe talk a little bit about how hope affects you as a counselor and the work you've done with crisis work over the years? Well, let's just use the 9-11 thing as an example. Now, for me, the scripture that says the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you enter a crisis, and I know also that you are so familiar with crisis and disaster work because of all the disaster work and crises that you've worked with. When you walk into a crisis or a disaster, it would be really easy to slip into that, oh my goodness, how is this ever going to be fixed mode? But for us, I believe having that joy, knowing that this is going to be fixed, this picture is not going to remain the same. This is not the end of the story. I think that's what gives us hope. And then that allows us to share that with other people that may have already slipped into that, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world mindset. So I think having that is a strength Mm -hmm. to allow us and support us to do the work that we've been sent to do. It makes you resilient when you're dealing with those really difficult things. It does. And that, honestly, when I stepped off the plane at Guardia, I relied on that a lot, a lot. (laughs) As I saw fighter jets above and being greeted with men with gun belts and rifles, that was a big, big part of the strength. And it allowed me to do the work. Talk me through that a little bit. I'm sure your experience is one that people have heard about vaguely. People went and did that. But what was it like for you being there? Well, the background was extremely helpful because it teaches discipline and focus. Focus on what you have to do. You can maybe feel later. You just do what you've been called to do. And in my perspective, I believe that the strongest counseling comes from people that believe they have been called to do that, to be near the brokenhearted. So with that focus in mind, as a Red Cross disaster mental health counselor, we're blending in with the rest of the workers. I waited tables. This was the first time a respite area had ever been set up. Typically, Red Cross does a three-day sheltering experience 
Well, at Ground Zero, that was not going to be a three-day sheltering experience. It was a respite, and it was a struggle trying to get the policemen and the firemen that were left behind to come in and actually lay down, take their uniforms off, and rest for maybe three or four hours. So I worked with a lot of them trying to convince or help them to see the value in you can be a better worker out there searching for your brother if you have some rest. So let's try that. So we did a lot of that. Waiting on tables, I was able to sit down and just let the counseling skills take over when somebody was sitting there not eating their meal. You could always sit with them and say, are you not hungry? Is there something else I can get you? Or I'm from Alabama. You guys are just so amazing. Anything to open the door to get them to talk. So building that rapport, you didn't have an office visit. And you know Mm -hmm. from having worked in disasters, you're not there with a scheduled appointment. So you have to think quickly Mm -hmm. to try to get that rapport built so that they can open up and you can help them reestablish their identity and make some sense, some meaning of what you're doing, where you're doing it. Absolutely. And what a privilege it is to meet people at that point in their lives, just a a really difficult point in their lives. And for for you to be able to be there and just encourage them and offer that support, offer that listening ear, when a lot of people have a hard time hearing those really difficult things. But you have that hope when you come into a situation like that. So do you think having that kind of hope affects your ability to hear difficult things? I mean, not to say that just because you have a Christian perspective, it makes you Wonder Woman or something like that. But, no. But it seems to affect your ability to hear difficult things to some degree. It does. It helps you to hear them. I think it's being present. We can never, ever tell somebody, oh, I know exactly how you feel. We can never do that. But we can listen to how they're feeling and reflect it back in a very loving, compassionate way. That hope gives you the strength to do that. It also allows you the strength to maybe even cry with them and let them see that human part and gives you the strength to compose yourself and move on with the task that you need to do to help that person right then, right there. I do remember the day that a crew of men brought in their supervisor, their boss, who happened to be a female crane operator. She was operating the crane, and the cranes were huge, and she was scraping away at the pile because they had to be ever so careful because at that time they still had expectations of finding people. Uh Well, she found a face. That was it, just the face, and it traumatized her. They brought her in. And I got to work with her. And it was just amazing, amazing how you can have that strength. Now, did that mean I went back to, we worked 10-hour shifts, and I worked the night shift. That next morning when I went back to my hotel room, yeah, I was praying the Mm -hmm. whole way back to my hotel room because I needed that refilling. And he did. I was refilled, ready to go back and work with her again the next day. And we finally got her to where she could be dismissed to go home to her kids, happy about doing that. So, yeah, those types of things. Yeah. So you got her out of the crisis situation for a bit because people need to regain perspective when they're in a crisis. Everyone starts to lose perspective and the whole world is 
gone to hell in a handbasket, <laughs> or at least it feel, yes. feels like it sometimes when you're in those crisis spots, but you sort of get that perspective back if you get a break for a little while, I guess. It absolutely does. Sort of like this pandemic situation. Mm -hmm. This is an ongoing crisis. Mm -hmm. And all our listeners can relate to every bit of it. <laughs> yes, yes. So what can we do today that we can pull from that? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Keeps you going every day. And it helps you to hear the stories that are coming in now. I'm hearing from you like this overarching perspective that makes people different. And you've used the word hope a number of times in this conversation. <laughs> it sounds like a theme or it sounds a little different the way some people might say hope or something like that. You use it in sort of a specific kind of way. I almost hear some kind of a nuance in the way you say hope. So tell the listeners, what do you mean by hope when you say that? And how does it affect your counseling and your training of counselors? Well, let's look at the word expectations. When, and you are right, hope is an overarching theme. It's part of the foundation of what we have that we believe we can share, we can expose people to, is that, yes, while there is trouble today, we have the expectation that that trouble, how we walk through that trouble, how we overcome that trouble is a choice sometimes of you can crumble or you can conquer. And that gives people hope. We have that hope that by the end of our time together, you will have the tools necessary to conquer rather than crumble. We're hoping for the things that may not be happening with you right this very moment. But this is our expectation of what can happen. That's not happening right now. It can happen as we walk through this time together and strengthen and add tools to our toolkit. This is what can happen. You can have that hope and you can conquer and be that established, productive citizen again. So that's what we mean by that. Well, I'm sure that appeals to a lot of people now, too, who are going through hard times, just having that hope and that real upbeat or whatever you want to call it perspective. It's a lot of people right now who are really struggling with anxiety and depression. And, you know, from all the research I read, the rates are really high. Let me ask you this, too. We've talked about hope. We've talked about perspective and a lot of different things in the way you've adapted your counseling work. But a lot of people, when they hear the term Christian counseling, they almost think of it like it's a whole different theory, like gestalt or person-centered or cognitive behavioral or all these different approaches. I don't think a lot of people realize that Christian counseling is really a philosophy that sort of undergirds using any one of those different approaches. You mentioned you've got a lot of people that work with you. When you talk about Christian counseling, is it sort of like I just described? Is it like an overarching philosophy or are there a lot of specific techniques you use? It's both. It is a belief system. And within that particular belief system, there are some different techniques and approaches or activities that we use that may vary, but not really. If you look at cognitive behavioral therapy, one of the big activities is journal reflections. Well, in the Christian counseling approach, we have prayer journals. Oh, man, what encouragement is that? When they look at when they first started, well, you know, I am praying about X, Y, or Z. And then two months later, oh, 
look what's happened. It looks like prayers have been answered or strength has come, peace has come. And that is such an encouragement. Or if there was a setback even, and you're journaling that, some other theories recommend meditation, prayer. So it's not really all that different. It supports clinical theories for counseling. Many of them were based in the Christian foundation. If you think about cognitive behavioral and you look at the word psychology, psych, mind, ology, logos, the mind of Christ with the word of God, cognitive behavioral, what you think impacts your emotions, your emotions impact your behaviors. It's very similar. It makes me think of like when you talk about people journaling and praying about things and having a different perspective, that's, you know, a lot of people are in the secular field talk about reframing and cognitive restructuring and yes. all of that. And it's really the same thing, just using slightly different perspectives to get there. And yeah. e either way, as long as the person is helped and has more hope and ability to cope, I guess you achieve a positive outcome. So that's a, that's a great thing. Well, another perspective, another concept that I feel like in research that I'm reading right now, one of the big concepts that is really being touted in some of the other non-Christian situations, the concept of forgiveness. Well, now that's just totally a Christian belief. I think there's been more research, there's been more work and more addressing of the concept of forgiveness in these last five years than I've seen in my time in mental health. And I think right now there's a lot of discussion of forgiveness. You're right. There's all kinds of research about that, how, how it affects people in so many different health ways and so forth. And it reminds me of that old expression. People say, you know, uh, when you don't forgive and you have bitterness, it's like drinking poison and wondering why the other person isn't getting sick. You just yes. hang on to that bitterness. And, but people don't realize that when they're bitter, you know, they just sort of think that it's going to get the other person back or something like that, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anger is another issue. And it's stirred up a lot now because you know, for such a long time, the world just rolled along on its merry little way. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, the train's been derailed and we're all at home with each other. Well, that means family, children, ooh, parents having to homeschool kids. I'm telling you, we had our phone system was bombed with anger issues, discouragement, mm -hmm. depression, and forgiveness became a huge, a huge part of those counseling efforts. Yeah, I could totally see that. It's neat how y'all can do that. And I say y'all because I used to live in the South. <laughs> you know, I'm up here in Virginia now, but God knows if that's North or South. <laughs> I'd say before I wrap it up today, I just want to ask you, and I try to ask all my guests this, is there anything else on your heart or mind that you had on your heart to share today? I think just the continuing use of the word hope and joy. I just want to encourage listeners to Find out where they can plug in to help the next person. It may not be the way that we do it, but it's worth the effort to find out how they can do it. I'm really, really, really blessed by that. I'm sure they will be. I certainly see that in your life. I've known you for goodness. It's getting close to 20 years, probably. It's neat to see the way I've seen your hope just sort of be contagious with the people that you work with and the crisis work you do and the private practice and college work. So that's really neat. And that's the reason why I wanted to have you on the program today to just expose people to you and all the different things that you have there. 
You have a website, I know, Living Waters Counseling in Headland, Alabama. People could probably search that and find it. And then your college is Kingdom College in Headland. And so they can find your website there as well to learn more about you and, and the work you're doing there. So anyway, I appreciate you being on the program today, Dr. Mayor, and God bless you with all the work that you do in the future. Well, thank you. And it was a real joy to be with you guys. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mental Healthy. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you join us next time for more on Mental Healthy. Music for this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons by Excel Music Publishing at freemusicpublicdomain.com.